This is Health on the Plains, a podcast about rural communities, rural life, and the many factors influencing the health and well-being of rural Kansans. Health on the Plains is a podcast from the Kansas Health Institute, a nonprofit, nonpartisan educational organization committed to informing policy and improving health in Kansas through honest, nuanced conversations with leaders and doers from a variety of backgrounds. The Health on the Plains podcast offers unique insights into rural health challenges in Kansas and shines a light on the people and organizations working to make their communities healthier, more vibrant places to call home. We're here at Dale Banks Ranch in Greenwood County, Eureka, Kansas. And our episode is visiting with Matt Perrier. He is the co-owner of this ranch, and he's also a board member at, at KHI. And he's a fascinating guy to talk to. And in, in our conversation, we talk about what rural means, what the rural life looks like, and, and some of the misconceptions we have about what rural life is and how sometimes we oversimplify it. And we really get into some of those interesting nuances and some of the, the decisions that folks in, in rural communities face. It's a fascinating conversation. Welcome everyone to episode one of the Health on the Plains podcast. Today we're in beautiful Flint Hills and we're, we're actually in the home of, of our guest, Matt Perrier. We're here in Greenwood County uh, and Matt, who's uh, welcomed us in and will be our first guest for the podcast. He's part owner and general manager of his family ranch uh, called Dale Banks Angus. It's near Eureka, Kansas. Matt previously served on the Kansas Beef Council Executive Committee. He serves on local community and church organizations, and he was a board member of Symphony in the Flint Hills. He also hosts his own podcast, which is pretty neat, mm -hmm. called Practically Ranching. Uh, where he talks with guests from, from all over the place about, about the ranching industry. Uh, and finally, Matt serves uh, on the board of the Kansas Health Institute. And I want to start, we're in, we're in your, your family home, we're on your ranch. Tell us about Dale Banks Angus. Okay, thanks, Well, I appreciate you having me. Uh, so Dale Banks Angus was settled by my ancestors in 1867. Um, the Loy family was their last name, and it was my father's mother's mother's family. So the first couple of generation were carried on by daughters and, and their husbands. Um, they immigrated from England, started this place um, basically as a sheep farm. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, at that time, everybody had a very diversified type of farm in the mid-1800s. But um, their daughter, Amy Loy, married a neighbor boy who actually grew up right here. The house was oh, wow. about 100 feet in front of it. In fact, the, the rock that's on our fireplace was the rock that was on their two-story stone house. Um, and his last name was Barrier, B-A-R-R-I-E-R. Mm -hmm. uh, he married Amy Loy, and, um, and they were the first ones to bring Angus cattle to Dale Banks. I should back up just a step. The word, the name Dale Banks was never a family name. Everybody always wants to know <laughs> where's Dale or who's Mr. Banks. <laughs> Um, they brought that name with them. Their farm in England was called Dale Banks, and uh, that was also actually a region there in England where, where they immigrated from. Um, but they kept the name, and um, through the years, you know, those two families kind of grew, grew the ranch and farm operation, and, and uh, through the years have grown up little by little to where uh, today 
Uh, we operate about 425 to 450 registered Angus cows. Mm -hmm. So 100 and almost 20 years yeah. later, still in the Angus business. And, and our, our focus is of course, to raise these cattle to the, to the best of our ability, but it's also to make sure that they're the best genetics that can then go out as bulls and as females mm -hmm. and hopefully propagate more of the same to our neighbors and our customers across this region. I work in partnership with, of course, my wife. We have five children uh, who help on the ranch a lot, especially in the summer and on weekends and things like that. Um, my mother and father are still active in the ranch, Tom and Carolyn. And um, then we also have two non-family employees that are very dedicated and work with us as well. Yeah, that's great. And I love the the history of the the name, but I'm sure you get the, the question a lot oh, about yes. who's, yeah. who's Dale and who's Mr. Banks. So, so you you didn't you didn't mention it, but you know, you you had some some work and some travels and, and work and life took you other places yeah, before you decide to decided to come back and, and take over this this role and, and take on your responsibilities. And when we think about public health and health policy and, and folks that work in healthcare in small towns, especially that story of, of leaving and, and thinking about coming back is, is a common one that, that is part of the discussion around workforce. And I'd be curious to hear more about that decision for you. What was that like? Cause you had, I'm sure you had other opportunities and you were doing important work and meaningful work elsewhere. What was what baked into that decision to come back? Yeah, that that's a, it's a great question and and one that Amy and I both get quite a bit. Uh, and I should say, Amy actually grew up in rural Kansas as well, over on the far east side of the state, um, around the scene. And we met at Kansas State University. She was doing her undergrad before she then went on to be a, a phys, went on to physical therapy school at KU Med, and um, started her career. I graduated and um, and worked two or three different places uh, straight out of college, none of them production ag, but mm -hmm. they were all related to the beef industry. Um, I was born in 1973, and so I was kind of coming in, of age in the 1980s. And anyone that's, that was involved in production ag in the 80s, any kind of agriculture in the 80s, would it goes without saying that that was about as rough of a time in recent memory to be part of the agriculture business as, as there ever has been. I mean, between 19 and 20% interest rates and, and some major seismic shifts in the way um, uh, both cattle and grain was marketed, there were just mm -hmm. a lot of situations that made it pretty tough. And there were a lot of families that, um, that weren't able to continue farming and ranching through mm -hmm. the 80s. And, and our family was no different. I mean, it was, it was, a rough time watching mom and dad over the dinner table in tears because their best friend and neighbor was having a farm sale or the bank was foreclosing on them or whatever the case may have been. Um, it was not a great sales pitch for going into yeah. production, agriculture, farming and ranching. Mm -hmm. And so I think I like a lot of people that were of that age. A lot of our parents said, not maybe in so many words, and they put it a little more delicately, but basically go to school, get a degree, and do anything you can hmm. other than what we're doing in farming and ranching because it's simply questionable whether it's worth it or not. Mm -hmm. And so I did that. And mm -hmm. in fact, I went to K-State spring of 1992 or fall of 1992 after graduating from high school, and I was going to be an engineer or hmm. anything but a farmer rancher. Uh -huh. uh, 
it didn't take very long for me to realize that that just didn't feel right. And so I went into agriculture, still wasn't going to be in production ag, um, graduated from animal science. Times were a little bit better, but not a lot in 1996. Mm -hmm. um, another tough time in, in the cattle business, at least. And so I took a job, took me to Pennsylvania and worked in beef marketing, actually, with the Beef Council uh, back east in Harrisburg and worked in Philadelphia and Newark, New Jersey area mainly. Um, did that for about a year and then went to work for the American Angus Association, which would be kind of the association of members that that um, do a lot of the the work the registration papers be kind of like the american kennel club yeah. of, a, of a breed of cattle like angus and i went to work for them in texas and new mexico as a as a regional manager and just loved it it gave the experience that i couldn't have asked for anything better still wasn't sure if i wanted to be in in the cattle business <laughs> myself um that same job i took me to St. Joseph to their headquarters for another three or four years. And, and that's when Amy and I got married and she was working as a physical therapist in North Kansas City Hospital at the time. And, um, you know, we were weighing our options. We, we, we always knew that there was this pull to come back to the ranch or come yeah. back to production agriculture. And then we had our first child. Ava was six months old or so. Um, when we found out that one of our non-family employees, again, we had mm -hmm. two at the time then too, uh, was leaving to go to a different ranch. And so that was kind of the time when I thought that this opens the door for me to come back and immediately be able to boots on the ground, start working back into it and, and have a bit of a salary, which is not, doesn't seem like a big deal, but it's but, a huge deal yeah. when you're moving into a family operation that a lot of times can build equity in agriculture and sweat equity and whatever you want to call it, but uh, there's not a lot of cash flow. So that was yeah. an opportunity there. But anyways, having a child in suburban America um, made us think a little bit differently. Is this where, and, and we loved, we lived in Flat City. We loved it. We loved the area. We had lots of friends around there. Both loved our jobs. Um, but there were just a, a several different dynamics that were kind of pulling us back this direction. So May 1st of 2004, we moved uh, to to Eureka, to the ranch, and, and um, have been here ever since. And, and yeah, I mean, it's just like any life decision. It was, it was tough then, and sometimes it's still tough. Absolutely. I mean, you think about what, where would we be now compared to where we are, and, and we all go through these things. Yeah. Um, anybody that's, that's had had those thoughts. I mean, you probably have had the same things, you know, what, what would it be like if I was back home in Western Kansas and there's trade-offs, but, uh, you know, it was the right decision then and it's the right decision now. And, and it, I, I am glad that both Amy and I got the opportunity to, as you said, live a few other places with a few new people, with a few more people, with a few, um, you know, creature comforts that, we never will ever see in Eureka, Kansas, or yep. Lassine, Kansas, yep. or any of these. Um, we got to experience those and knew that, yeah, they were nice. And remember that, gosh, those were really nice to mm -hmm. have, you know, a movie theater, a restaurant, a nice grocery store, whatever yep. the case may be, within minutes, but still um, know what we have here and then the blessings that we have um, in rural America. Because again, those trade-offs are easier, I think, to to see and to um, make decisions upon when you've gotten to experience both. 
when you're looking yeah, at it from afar, everything looks better. I haven't moved back, but there's a lot in the story of, of thought process and, and experiencing other things, living other places. And in some ways, those experiences help you recognize a lot of the great things you had had back home. And I, I certainly have a lot of that. And I went to school in Missouri and, and then that the next step took me to Indiana and I came back to Kansas. Uh, I haven't, I'm not all the way back out West, but I came back to Kansas and uh, being out there made me see a lot of, of what I was giving up if I, if I didn't come back. So, so Matt, I, I have it on, on pretty good authority that among your many talents, you, oh, you, uh, you play guitar and sing, sing a bit. Now I haven't, I haven't learned guitar and, uh, but I, but I used to sing in high school and I, and I played instruments and, and think music can, can be a way for us to think about things in, in unique ways and, and has the ability to, to elicit some thoughts that we might not get to if we, if we, if it wasn't in a, in a song. And there's a song from an artist uh, who's from a small town in Cotton Valley, Louisiana. It's a town of less than a thousand people. His name is Brandon Ratcliffe, and, and the album's called Tale of Two Towns. And Brandon, in pursuit of his musical career, he left and, and moved and went to Nashville. And in this album, he's sort of wrestling with the two towns of staying in his small town and, and the life he could have had there or moving off and, and pursuing his dreams, and in his case, moving to the big city of, of Nashville. And he sort of, he, he thinks about that from lots of different angles in, in his album. And in one of the songs, uh, it's, it's called Where I'm Coming From. And he's expanding on this theme and he's, he's talking to the ghost of his, his late grandfather. And in the song, the grandfather is, is telling him um, about the life he has in, in his small town. And he has a line in there that whenever I hear, I think about my small hometown mm -hmm. and, and my decision to leave and, and um, my family's still there, my brother's still there. And sort of that's my two, my two towns. And he says, the, the line he says is that it might take you a couple more trips around the sun, but one day you'll find out there's a lot more to a simple life than you thought it was. And we've talked about the life you chose here. And some people, I know it's not simple, but some people think rural equals simple. Uh, when you hear that line and you think about how, especially folks that, that don't have experiences in small towns and think about some of the misconceptions and maybe the simplifications or overgeneralizations that we sometimes make about rural life and rural challenges, what, what do you think? Well, I, that's a great line, and I would agree with it completely, and I, it brings to mind another song, and I don't even remember exactly who wrote it, um, but years ago in the country music scene um, where corn don't grow, and, you know, it was basically talking about the bright lights in the big city always look exciting, and um, it looks like it may be an easier life, but there are Regardless, if you're going from the city to the country or the country to the city, there are some things that you're not going to see on the surface until you get there and live there. And as the grandpa said, take a couple trips around the sun and, and see them longer than just visiting or looking at them on a television screen or something. So, yeah, I, I think it's a 
that's a great line and that's a decision that a lot of folks let's face it even after covid there were a lot of folks that went the other way may have never lived in a rural area didn't like the lockdown or didn't like the thought of being in as close a proximity every day and taking public transit or whatever the case may be and wanted to escape to a rural area um a lot of those folks have already figured out that oh i didn't realize this part or that part. I didn't know that I'd go through tires on a vehicle because of all the rocks yeah. and, and spin, you know, not be able to drive the, the vehicle that I've always driven. I didn't know that I wouldn't have any broadband or high-speed internet. I didn't know there was no trash service or water or mm -hmm. anything else like that. So it, it, it's, there's advantages and disadvantages. Um, but the simple the word simple always kind of intrigues me because it can mean so many things. It can mean, you know, country people live a simple life. Is that because they're not smart enough to live another one? Or is it just because there really aren't a lot of worries? You're out here with mother nature and, and clean air and everything else. I can tell you unequivocally that Amy and my life was probably significantly simpler in suburban Kansas City. Um, working two jobs, each commuting 30 minutes either direction from home. Um, but when we were done with work, we were pretty much done with work. Mm -hmm. And you get into a rural lifestyle, especially in a, in a family-owned business, whether it's cattle or crops or a plumbing business, um, there's not a lot simple about living in, in an environment like this because you're at the mercy of the weather or the animals that are under your care or the people that need something built or taken care of. And, and um, you know, I remember talking to folks and not very many people, I don't think, do it anymore, but they'd get done with work at five o'clock on a Friday and they'd turn their phone off and they wouldn't check it again until Monday. Well, I'd lose customers. Mm -hmm. I would lose cattle. I would, there'd be all kinds of different things. And, you know, again, vacate, you, you name it. There are so many different things that um, is a major difference between living in, and working in rural America compared to um, more of what I'd call a typical convention, conventional um, life and job and, and career in, in um, urban and suburban settings. That's something we're really excited to, to dig into with different people and, and hopefully chip away at, at some of, of those, those misconceptions about what rural life looks like because we, I think we can oversimplify and, and both the, the joys and, and the positives of, of the life in, in rural uh, Kansas and, and in rural America. And we can sometimes oversimplify some of the challenges that we're gonna, we're gonna hear about and some of the, the hardships of, of the, the family business and the strains and the unique uh, challenges that, that you may have uh, in, in that context or the challenges you have as the only doctor in town that, that look different than, than your, your colleagues that are in a, in a bigger city, in a, in a big system. Another thing you, you mentioned you, you talked about, you've got a lot going on. 
<laughs> even even if you just if we just put bounds on it and just think of of your your wife as as a uh, a rancher and, and running running the the business and we we talked about at the beginning all the other activities you've done and you do you find time to to be on on a, a board of of a, a health institute and i i think it i think that's really interesting and i like to hear about what led you to to want to want to be part of that and why it's important to have folks like you and and folks from various perspectives be in conversations about about our our policy decisions about our our health and to have those diverse perspectives yeah i I appreciate you asking that because sometimes I think there's probably a few other board members and staff members who are asking the same question. Whatever led this guy to be on our board? Um, when Dr. St. Peter called and came down and visited with me about this, I, um, I was as surprised and confused as anybody else because I heard the word health institute and just assumed that it was for folks that were directly working in the health community. And the only one um, who I knew who was on the board at the time was um, Dr. Dave Graham and, you know, practitioner and MD. And um, he was a, it was clear why he should be on it. As my wife, Amy said, as I was leaving at like 4.30 or 5 in the morning for our first board meeting, I'm all, suited up in a coat and tie and I hadn't worn a tie in a long time and she said you look great just remember I work in the medical community I'm a phys registered physical therapist don't go up there and embarrass me <laughs> and so I every meeting that we have I recall Amy's words um, but I, I think the conversation that we just had about the misconceptions about I won't even just say rural Kansas, I'll say rural America. And the misconceptions that rural Kansans have <laughs> about big cities. Yep. That needs to be addressed. I mean, you can turn on any news program, any podcast, anything you want to listen to, read any newspaper, and they're going to talk about this, this divide amongst the population of the United States of America. Same way, the, this divide amongst Kansans. And that divide gets thrown in our faces long enough that we just shrug our shoulders and settle for it. And I don't think it has to be that way. And it doesn't have to be Democrats and Republicans, rural or urban, you know, Christians or atheists, whatever. We need to be able to, again, we bring up the perspective word, to be able to see why it is that this segment of Kansas acts and thinks and works and chooses like they do instead of just saying they're wrong. The advice from your wife is, yeah. gives me a chuckle, but I'm, I, I know you haven't, haven't embarrassed yourself, but I could imagine, uh, my, I I could, I could imagine my wife saying the same thing yeah. before I went to, to do something. So I, you, you talked about the ability to have, have conversations, to, to discuss challenging topics to see it from from different perspectives and and that's absolutely something we we want to do in this podcast and we we hope to hear from folks that we we might not hear from in in the news we might not see them in in our shows but but we know they're doing really important work 
in, in their rural communities to, to help their health and well-being. And I, I want to ask you about something that can be tough to discuss in, in that same, same vein. I want to ask you about health equity. And I think when, sometimes when we, when we hear terms like health equity, there are like a lot of terms that can mean many different things and, and people have, have different understandings of it. So I sort of wanna, wanna level set with how I, how I think about health equity. And there's a definition that I like, there are several, several good definitions, but the one I like is health equity is the state in which everyone has a fair and just opportunity to attain their highest level of health. And when I hear that definition and I think about my family, and some of the, the challenges that, that they encounter. I, I have a parent that's an EMT, who's run EMS service for decades. And some of the, the things that she encounters in her job and some of the challenges they have in a small hospital. I think about those folks, I think about rural communities in general. I also think about some of the populations in our, in our rural communities that, that might look different than I do. They might speak different language than I do. They might even worship different than I do. I, so when I hear that definition in, in health equity, I can see and I think about rural communities. But I, I'm curious, your experiences, you're thinking about your community here. What does health equity mean to, to Greenwood County and in, in your, your community? Yeah, that, that is a tough one, regardless of where you are. Um, and I'll start by saying that here in Greenwood County, um, I feel like we're very fortunate in that we still do have a community hospital and a lot of rural counties don't anymore. And part of it is because we're so far away from any major metropolitan areas. You know, we're an hour plus from Wichita. Um, you know, we're basically an hour from Emporia. There just aren't a lot of other hospitals. So, you know, critical care, there's a lot of different programs that have helped um, keep that hospital open and hopefully through good management and service by the providers that have. So we're fortunate to have that. Um, also, fortunately, I don't spend a lot of time in the hospital or at the doctor's office. Um, but the times that I do, here's what, here's what I can see. We have several medical providers who still live in Eureka or in the Eureka area. Um, which again is fortunate because there's a lot of rural hospitals that they're shuttling in or flying in for a five day on whatever the case may be. And so we still have docs and nurses and PAs and everybody else who are at the ball game on Tuesday night and Friday night with us. Mm -hmm. And, and you'll see them the next morning and you know, seeing patients. And so we're so incredibly fortunate to have folks that are still dedicated and still doing that. Um, from an, a health equity standpoint, that one's tough for me as well, because at least in Greenwood County, which is about the only place that I have real decent experience with the health, you know, providers and anything, anything else, um, everybody pretty much looks, speaks, and even worships pretty similarly to what I, and so um, that is depending again on your perspective, um, a lot of folks would say, well, that's obvious and that's why they vote like they do and that's why they think like they do. But I'm here to tell you, even though everybody that's walking into the 
clinic or the hospital or wherever the case may be, the ball game, wherever the case may be, even though we may all look and act and sound the same, I will promise you there's an immense amount of diversity in Eureka Kingdom. Mm -hmm. And the values and the decisions and the home life and the generational decisions on education or even even health. Mm -hmm. uh, so when I do have to go to the doctor's office, I see folks who live down the road from me or in Eureka, and they may have the same, from the outside, they may have the same appearance as what I do, but our lives are completely different when we get mm -hmm. home. And that's what I think that we probably need to address, especially when we get to talking about rural health care. And so that's the challenge that I think that we face in rural America. A lot of those folks may or may not have necessarily been from Eureka, but Eureka has been a fairly inexpensive place for them to live. Mm -hmm. We don't have a lot of police force, and so it's a great place to cook meth and do mm -hmm. so many other things. And this is the ugly side of rural America that nobody wants to talk about when we talk about the simple life and quiet mm -hmm. towns of a thousand, two thousand people. At least in Greenwood County, because we're so fortunate to have a community hospital, providers, uh, access. You know, we've got a, a, a care art clinic that um, that has you know all kinds of different programs for folks that need help there and don't have their own coverage or insurance. Um, we have all those things. There's, there's plenty of opportunity to see a doctor. And um, unfortunately, the doctors are MPAs and everybody else, health professionals are covered up with folks that want care, want a prescription, want opiate, whatever the case may be that they're in mm -hmm. there to get. But what they don't want to do is figure out, okay, let's treat the problem, not just the symptoms. Let's figure out long term how we fix this. And gosh, I, you know, I just, I feel for the medical professionals that are trying to crack that, that challenge. Your the comments are in, are in line with a broader conversation around yeah. health equity. When we when we think about health equity, there's a, a sort of a common phrase we we talk about it in public health world that health happens or at least begins outside of the the doctor's oh, office for sure. And when we're talking about home situation, we're talking about education, we're talking about job opportunities and the ability to, to, to have those jobs and keep them, all those things impact someone's health in, in a variety of ways and, and in ways that you see maybe in, in the doctor's office, but in, in ways that, that won't show up there but absolutely impact their health. And a, a, a theme I'm hearing when we, when we think about health equity but also about rural Kansas and rural America is there's a lot of complexity and a lot of nuance that we often don't appreciate. And we often don't, don't create the space to, to think through and talk about. And uh, I, I'm excited to do that in, in, this, in this podcast. And the, the other thing that, that I, I think about when I hear your, your reflections on health equity in, in Greenwood County is you, you noted that a lot of the folks may, may look fairly similar, or may, may have some similar appearances, but if you go one, one layer deeper, 
there's there's a bunch of 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 unique experiences and different experiences. And I think that's an important thing to think about when we think about rural America. I think sometimes when we talk about disparities or we talk about health equity and we talk about creating opportunities for everyone to have a, a fair and just op, uh, to attain their highest health, we might lump all rural people together and say, well, you're, you're all, you all look the same and, and there can't be much difference here. And I, th I think we're missing something if we do that. And hearing you talk about about your community, it, it, it makes that clear that there's there's some differences here. There are things where you could say there are folks in, in our community, and it's true in, in all communities where different experiences, different challenges, different opportunities, you can see how, how the, the health um, could look different for those folks. You think about the, the life you have and the life your kids have now, and, and you look to the future. What are your, what are your hopes for the lives your, your kids could have here in Greenwood County or, or in rural in rural America in general, and uh, what, what does that look like? Yeah, we, we think about that more, Amy and I do now than we ever have because, you know, with our eldest as a junior in college and, and um, stair-stepped right on down through high school, junior high, and, and on down, um, it's, it gets closer every day. Obviously, um, I think the one hope that I have is that our children can do something that excites them and that they're passionate about. And if that is being here on the ranch day to day uh, at some point in the future, then we'll figure out a way to make that work. If that is somewhere else, then we're going to make sure that they are able to pursue that option as well. Um, I mean, simple economics are such that this outfit won't support five family member owners, employees full time in its current size and scope. Um, and I don't think all five of them would ever, the way they fight like cats and dogs most days, I don't think there's any way that they would all want to be here at the same time. They, they all say a lot of times, they'll say, oh yeah, all of us want to come back. Well, who knows, that could happen, but uh, it would have to change drastically to make that happen. And they would have to do that or, you know, and I'll hopefully be around to help figure out. But, uh, but yeah, that's something that, that I want them to do. The one thing that Amy and I have discussed with our kids, the thing that mom and dad put out for me and my siblings, and I have two siblings, younger <laughs> sister, younger brother. And that is, if you would like to move back home and, and take over or buy into the family business, we want you to go get an education first, and then we want you to get a paycheck from somebody else for at least a few years. And I think there's value in that. That doesn't work for everybody. That doesn't need to be every family farm or ranch or every family business that wants to have some type of succession plan. That doesn't have to be everybody's rule, but it's our rule. Mm -hmm. And it, it's one that we feel pretty strongly about because it's kind of like the discussion of living in the country versus the city. If you've only lived one of those two places, it's hard for you to understand the nuanced mm -hmm. scenario of living in the other area. Same way with working on a ranch or farm or family business of any kind. Um, if you never draw a paycheck, but 
summer jobs that from uh, the summer job that that was on your family farm ranch and then you get done with school high school college whatever the case may be and come right back and you're still working for mom or dad or grandma or whoever the case may be there will be a time when you think like i have i wonder if i could have done something different and if that's always burning there and you never got an opportunity and you think well you know this is this is all i ever had the opportunity to do mm-hmm. it's going to eat at you forever and so, plus, from a businessman's standpoint, I want my kids, if they want to come back into the ranch, I want them to go learn from somebody else. Mm-hmm. Any morsel that they can learn outside of Dale Banks Angus or Greenwood County, Kansas, and bring back, right or wrong, there is something about a um, multi-generational business in agriculture that is almost a a blessing and a curse. I mean, it, it, it is a tie that binds strongly enough that if even when times are rough and it doesn't look like it makes any sense economically, business-wise, somebody usually says, you know, I think I'm the one. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes some bodies mm-hmm. say we're the ones and we're coming back and we're continuing this on. Um, Again, I, I said it's a blessing and a curse because I don't love that because I think it's sometimes unhealthy, especially for sometimes the in-law who comes back with either the daughter or the son who says, this is my family and I can't let this farm die. Mm-hmm. You can go from having one year that you make enough money that you can go on vacation, take a Caribbean cruise or whatever the case may be, and the next five years, you don't leave the place, and you owe the bank, mm-hmm. and you're at the brink of disaster. It's uh, good and bad, but it is something that that most people that grow up in a in a generational farmer ranch understand that that's a cross they bear. Uh, it's either an opportunity, or it's a. It it makes me think about. I I think that that. Whole, um, and the emotions and the, the challenges and, and sort of opportunities that are tied up in coming back and serving your, your local community and the family business. I, I think that it's interesting to think about that in the context of other, other areas as well. I think there are absolute unique things to, to ranching and, and agriculture, family business, but I think about the small hometown pharmacist sure, that's yeah. family owned and the pressure and opportunity of one of the children coming back and and the weight that you can feel knowing that you know if you say no what does that mean not only for your family business but what does that mean for for this community that you grew up in that that they all know you you went to school there you know half the town and and the the weight of that decision and I, I know friends and, and family that, that have been on, on either side of, of that. Decision. I mean, we have several businesses in Eureka, a local bank that is still family owned, uh, a pharmacy that's still an independent pharmacy. And, and the next generation is actually not family, but he's a young pharmacist who's from Eureka, went and got his education and, and wanted nothing more but to come back and be Eureka's pharmacist and mm-hmm. loves it. And everybody loves him for it. 
um, we've in several other businesses that are that are very similar, same way. Um, the community has to have that. I mean, there's only so much of that pull that can be because I think it's the good thing to do or the right thing to do or my community needs me. You can do that for, you can use that to energize yourself and tell yourself for a little while that I'm doing this as a service to my community. If you hate it, mm -hmm. either the job or the community that you live in, it's not sustainable, but we need opportunities. We need real economic opportunities to make it where we can keep rural America viable. Um, because, and I've said this in our KHI meetings, I, I say it in so many different opportunities, as I said on our podcast, we produce food and fuel and fiber and really pharmaceuticals on in rural America. And we do a whale of a job doing it. We send those out of rural America across the nation, across the globe, really. And billions of GDP that we add. But the most valuable product that we produce in rural America are our kids. Mm -hmm. And we send 98% of them out of the county, out of the town, mm -hmm. and they get phenomenal jobs. They touch a lot of people. They do a wonderful job for society. But most of them, because there isn't an opportunity, there isn't an interest, whatever the case may be, most of them are gone. Hmm. High school graduation, every May, we ship, we export our most valuable product every single May from hmm. rural America. And um, that's tough. It's tough, it, whether they're a family member or just somebody that you see, man, if she would just find a way to come back to Eureka. The opportunity that, that for, for the impact you can have, there's a, a phrase you said in there, that the, the person you knew came to Eureka to be the pharmacist. They weren't a pharmacist that worked in Eureka. They were Eureka's pharmacist. Oh, yeah. And, and yeah. that, it seems like a small nuance, but no, the, the like... The, the magnitude of, of that is, is, is really um, felt. And I think about my small hometown, we lost Nest City's physician. Mm -hmm. He was the doctor in town. He was the, the doctor for decades. And when he retired and, and moved to be closer to family, the entire community felt it. Even if people had, had other care, it, he was so embedded in, in the fabric of our community that, that you felt it so so widely and the flip side when when we do have someone return you know because rural america is so often sending kids away when even one returns it's news for the entire community oh, it's it's, new, it's it's um it's it's just a it, there's a, a it looks and feels different than uh, than just a, a job uh, and 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 means a lot a lot more and i'm really excited that we scratched the surface on, on all these topics. I mean, I think we did more than scratch the surface, but <laughs> when we think about this is episode one, I'm so excited for the, the potential we have to, to peel back some of those, those layers and, and have more of these conversations with folks all, all across Kansas. Because we know we're here in Greenwood County. It's, it's beautiful. The ranch is, is wonderful. And we know that this looks different than Northwest Kansas. It looks different than 
the middle of, of Kansas and, and uh, all over. Uh, and we're excited to, to go across the state and have more conversations like this. But absolutely had a, had a great time talking with you, Matt. Thank you so much. For I did as well. Thanks for doing this. I think, it's, um, I think it'll be incredibly valuable to everybody that participates. Good work. Thank you so much. Thanks for being our, our first one. You bet. You just heard Health on the Plains. Look for new episodes twice per month. Follow us on social media and continue to listen to the latest episodes wherever you regularly listen to podcasts. Learn more at khi.org forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening.